The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, as we sit here ready to hear your word, we're praying for your spirit to work. We want to remember, even now, those youth and volunteers away at the retreat, who I think just about now are again getting ready to sit under your word. Pray for Nathan as he brings that word to them and for our youth that you would stir in them as they're away from us and stir in us as we're here. Lord, would you, would you work in us what is pleasing in your sight? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I told uh, Nick before the service, I said, I'm, I'm thinking I might go a little long, so I'm just going to tell you up front. I said, it's mainly based on how I, I feel. So I don't, I, don't <laughs> I don't know if you ever have this feeling in you where uh, you want something so badly for people you love that it, it hurts. Have you, have you ever had that feeling, like sitting down with your kids or, or sitting across from someone in a, in a small group or a family member at a holiday that doesn't yet know Jesus and like you want something for them so bad, it just hurts. Well, I hurt <laughs> this morning. I want this for us so bad and so feel my pain with me <laughs> as, I, as I preach this morning. And this is part two in a, in a mini-series on the local church last week. We heard part one from Jonathan Lehman about what the local church is. And this week, I hope to point out what the church does and displays. So he did, here's what the church is. I'm doing what the church does and displays. In other words, in light of what the church is, what should it do and what should the world see about the church? One way, as he and I were talking about this two-part series, that I'd like you to think about is what kind of what he did is give us the skeleton. He gives us the skeleton, right? It's not a good thing if you think an arm is a leg and you act like that. That's not a good thing if an arm actually is a leg, right? <laughs> and you act like that. But that gives us only part of it. So that if that's the skeleton, this is how this thing is supposed to work and be put together. What I want to give you today is the muscle, right? The, the muscle, that's how this thing moves. That's how this thing goes. Proper skeleton, this is what it is. Proper muscle, this is how the thing moves. And if you put that all together, you have a body that can do some good for the cause of Christ. I want to remind you from Philippians, before we dive into the muscle, I want to remind you of what he said right from the book of Philippians about the miracle of what the church is uh, and we're going to look at it from Philippians today just to show you that this is all over the Bible over and over again. So listen to Philippians 1 and see the, the geographic bounding, the localness of the church. It says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and and deacons, notice that Paul is writing to a geographically bound, close gathering of believers with their leadership. Right? He's writing to this, this local expression of the church. 
And you could go through a bunch of Paul's letters and other places in the New Testament and see this over and over and over again. Paul in Acts said, I appoint elders in every city. Right? As these gatherings are gathered, as the gospel goes forth, there's these leaders and he appoints elders in every city. In other words, you can imagine Paul writing a letter and saying to all the saints at Bethlehem South with your elders and deacons. That's the flavor of these letters that Paul writes to these various places. We've talked a lot in the last couple years here at the South Campus about the idea of shepherding the flock of God among you. That's what we want to do here as elders. That's 1 Peter 5 or Acts 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock, Paul says to the Ephesian elders. The New Testament assumes a people that actually gathers, an ecclesia, a a gathering, that's what the word means, and actually has leadership that works to be present among them. Not perfectly, not without any warts, but actually tries to do this. And so there's this localness, this geographic boundness to to know and be present, to really gather, be an ecclesia. And yet... What we heard last week is this geographically bound group of saints is also what? A heavenly embassy, right? Right? Uh, An access point. He kept using that language and going like this, right? Heaven and earth. He kept doing this. An access point for the kingdom of God, as Jonathan told us last week. And we see that in Philippians as well. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are locally, geographically bound. And yet in a real sense, we are strangers. And we're aliens. This is not our home. right? We say we're a blood-bought family, a blood-bought family without a home. (laughs) We're not yet home. Our primary citizenship is not in America. right? It's not in Minnesota. It's not even in these south suburbs, though we should love these south suburbs. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this passage says we're here helping each other wait for the return of our king and just trying our best to make him known wherever we are until we finally get to be home. So as you look around this morning, you should see a kind of dual miracle. Right, look around. Go ahead. This is participation. David is doing his best and welcomes to make us charismatics that participate. And we're going to try to honor that. So look around. This is, a, this is a miracle. This is your family that Jesus has purchased. These are your people, right? These are your people. Some of them you would have chosen. Some of them you wouldn't have chosen. These are your people because Jesus has made them your people. It's, it's geographically bound and in a real way, it's out of this world. Right now, we're all seated in the heavenly places. Geographically bound and out of this world. It's a bunch of very normal people saved by grace trying to show that there's another home we're waiting for and praying that others might join us. That's what this is. That's where you are right now. Seated in the heavenly places in Lakeville. Both of those meaningful. Both of those a miracle. Both of those what we're all about. So what, then, if that's who we are, what do we do and what do we display together? Why do I hurt? What do I want? (laughs) Let's look at it. First, we have one 
mission together. Point number one, we have one mission together. And for each of these, I'm going to say, what, what is the does? What do we do together? And then what are we meant to display together? So first, look at this mission. And what the church does is it stands in the gospel. Look at verses 27 to the beginning of verse 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So what does this local, heavenly group of people do? Well, this says it stands and it strives together, one mind, one spirit, for the gospel. This is a gospel people. We could look at the rest of Philippians and go, what do you mean stand and strive for the gospel? What does that mean? Well, Paul would say earlier in the book that he would say, well, it means to live is Christ. To die is gain. Right? While you're here, it's it's all about Jesus. And when you die, there's no fear because you get him. Might mean that. Or it might mean a little bit later in chapter 3. It means to count all else as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Everything else loss in comparison to him. Or it might mean to get, not give in to the ways of the world, but remember that our citizenship is in heaven. Not let our bellies, the lusts of this world, be our God, but let God be our God. We are not home yet. In other words, it it means to live as if the gospel is real and it changes everything. It changes your home life. It changes your family dinners. It changes the hospital room. It changes your workplace. It changes your small group. It changes your neighborhood. The gospel is real and it changes everything. It means a people that really believe our lives depend, completely depend on this one who came to earth and lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, rose again to conquer death, reigns at the right hand of the Father and sent his spirit to keep doing his work. Like a people that believes our lives depend on that. Not just moment of salvation and when he returns, but our lives depend on it moment by moment by moment. Kids, have you ever been really excited about a game, a toy, a vacation, or maybe a friend coming over? We were going to go last night to watch our alma mater play Northwestern and right, Stone was amped, right? He wasn't amped just when we got to the game. Stone was amped from about 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> he couldn't go to sleep. He came and finished my sermon with me because he was not going back to sleep. Right? Why? Why is that going on? Because what he was anticipating, what he knew was real and was coming, was changing how he was acting and how he was getting ready And that's what it means to stand and strive in the gospel. It means that we believe Jesus is real and he's coming back. He's coming back. Do you believe he's coming back? To make all things new and it changes who we are and how we act now. Or it should, right? If it's real and we believe it, it should do something. We live in a world that wants to oppose the gospel. Of course they do. They don't know this is real. 
And it will offer all other sorts of paths to joy and contentment. Right? Just watch a commercial during a show or a game. Right? There's all other sorts of paths to joy and contentment. It will serve all other sorts of kings, convenience, comfort, prestige, power, popularity. It will trust in all other sorts of people like politicians or activists. And the message that we are sinners in need of a Savior will be offensive to a world that hides its shame by legalizing its sin or says that the highest value of its society is self-expression. This is going to be offensive. The local church is a heavenly people that stand in and strive for the message of the gospel. We stand for the message of the gospel. Jesus is real. He really came. He really rose again. He's really coming back. He's real. And we stand with the people of the gospel. Everyone who says that's true. We stand together. We stand for the what of the gospel. And we stand with the people of the gospel. This is not an individual journey of self-expression. This is a family journey of a shared confession. <laughs> That's what this is. This is an individual. I'm going to express myself. This is a corporate shared confession of faith. We express to the world together that Jesus Christ remains the most precious reality in the universe. Can you give your life to that? Can you give your life to a people where that's what it's all about? So that's what it's all about. What are we supposed to display? What, what are we displaying to the world with that? Look at verses 128, second half to verse 30. This is a clear sign, display, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. As we stand and strive for the gospel together, we will likely suffer in some ways. Maybe in ever-increasing ways. In some parts of the world, it already means the sword. It already means a death sentence. It already means extreme persecution. In our part of the world, there's a kind of passively growing hostility, some more actively growing hostility, and then a mocking that's kind of rising up. Kids... You might feel this in your schools. Like Jesus is a fairy tale and you're a fool for believing in him. Adults, you might start to feel this in your workplaces and in your communities. So what is Paul saying here? What happens as we suffer and we keep standing and striving, not driven by angry fear, but driven by humble faith? What will happen as we stand there? Here's what Paul says. What will happen is that they will see that our salvation is real and that their destruction is sure. That's what's going to happen at your school. It's going to happen at your workplace, in your neighborhood. As you stand in the gospel, they're going to go, something in them is going to know. That, that's real, and I'm done. Now, at first, that sounds almost mean, doesn't it? Who wants to be like the, the sign for someone's destruction? 
Anyone eager to get up and have your neighbors feel like you're just always showing them they're doomed for hell? I hope, I hope not. But, but here's why it's not mean. Here's why it's not cruel. Because the world, at its heart of hearts, is longing for who? Sunday school answer. Who's it longing for? Jesus. There we go. Whether it knows it or not. It can't find anything worth giving its life to. Do you see that in the world? That it can't find anything worth giving its life to. That's why it has to keep working up adrenaline, right, for the next cause or the next election or the next promotion or the next vacation or whatever. It's just working up adrenaline. What does my life mean? What do I give my life to? Who are the people I can look to to give my life to something with? And it can't find it, so it just keeps moving and reinventing itself every five years. And there's no final rest. There's no certain joy. There's no eternal life. And so, as we keep losing cultural capital, which we are, it's no longer cool to be a Christian. As we are mocked, we stand and we display our sure salvation and their sure destruction that they might see through the heavenly access point, the church, what is truly at stake. Right? There's, there's several different atheists who have made the comment if Christians really believe what they believe and they, they never make people feel that, never speak that, how much must they hate the world around them? Those are atheists. And you, you really believe what you believe about this God and this salvation and sin and you never tell anybody about it. Never make them feel that their destruction is sure. How much must you hate the world, Christians? Through our one mission together of standing in and striving for the gospel together, we display the judgment and salvation of Christ and put reality before the world. That's a loving thing to do as a people. Point number two, this mission, there's a therefore here in verse one. So if, that's a therefore, this mission requires therefore that it's accomplished by one mindset together. So what does the church do? What's our action? We count others more significant. Look at verses 1 to 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we're going to accomplish the mission of standing in and striving for the gospel and displaying eternal realities before the world, we have to do this. This has to be done. So that the world sees it on display in a, in a people. In other words, much of what we're doing as a church is offering an alternative community. <laughs> That's what the world is looking for. Where do I belong? Do I belong here with these activists or this party? Do I belong here with these activists or this party? Who am I? Where do I belong in the church as we count each other more significant than ourselves? Look not only to our own interests but the interests of others is inviting them in and saying, what about a place like this? You, you say you don't love the gospel. You say we're crazy. 
Say we're fools to believe this, but you got to admit this is compelling. You got to admit that this looks a little bit better than your your group. Paul is pleading with the church here to display an otherworldly outlook, a gospel-shaped outlook, a gospel-shaped people, an alternate community. This is why we plant churches. This is why Haddon is planting a church in Egan, North Egan, because he's going, we want to have a place for this people in North Egan to go, I want into that. I want into that. How about these commands? These commands, have you ever thought the commands of the Bible are crazy? Right? They're very extreme. Right? Never say never unless you're an apostle. Right? So he says, do nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing. Not one thing from selfish ambition or conceit. Kids, have you done anything selfish ever? What about this morning? Did you get ready for church? Adults, have you done anything selfish ever? Here's Paul pleading, saying, don't do that anymore. Right? This is what Pastor David's talking about. Our kingdoms of self. The selfish ambition, conceit. And Paul is pleading, count others as more significant, more important. Kids, at a young age in your Sunday school classes, on your Wednesday nights, when you're gathering together, what if you thought this way about your brothers and sisters in Christ? You loved each other. You counted them more important. You were different than the other kids your age. Man, in the last couple of years... Imagine if everyone in the church considered others more important and looked to the interest of others. Like imagine if we just, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the invitation, we're going to see the example of Christ, just gave ourselves to that verse. Right, that verse, we could unpack that for our whole lives. Right, it's, it's easy. It's easy to look out there, right, at, at, the, at the world, the bad guys in our minds, and see the selfishness and the pride and the tendency to not consider others. But what about the church in the last few years? Has, has the world, ask yourself this question, has the world seen a church standing and striving in the gospel and love and counting others as more significant, looking to the interests of others because of the gospel? Or has it seen a church standing and striving for secondary things and fighting with each other with their own little special interest groups? What, what has it seen? Let's get more personal. What about me? What about me and my family this last week? What about you as you go about your work weeks in meetings and sending emails and interacting on a project? Right? Does your workplace see you as someone that's looking to the interests of others? Or are you the one that's going to get it done no matter who you run over? Do you count others as more significant than yourselves? What about in our families as we're home loving our kids, our spouses, loving our neighbors? How can we move that way? Well, verse 1 has these beautiful phrases. We let our encouragement be in Christ. It's a Sunday school answer again. See that in verse 1? We remind ourselves of Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, is there any encouragement in Christ? Paul's being sarcastic here. (laughs) Is there any encouragement in Christ? Right? We look to Jesus more than we look to the news. 
We go to Jesus in the morning before we go to our, our iPhones. Right? We go to Jesus more than we go to all the other things that will distract us. Right? We, we look to Jesus and we see him laying down his rights for us. We're comforted by his love and his love is our comfort. We don't have to be so stinking angry all the time protecting our comforts. We fellowship with the Spirit in the Word and prayer to be reminded of what's eternally important. We ask God to create affection and sympathy in our hearts for those we are most at odds with in the body of Christ. Paul says, is there any affection or sympathy? I want you to think of that person that bothers you most here. You might say, no. (laughs) There's no affection or sympathy. Would you ask God to create affection, create sympathy for your brothers and sisters in this body? As we set our minds on Christ, as we remember his love, remember his comfort, by the power of the Spirit, the Lord will create an affection and sympathy among us that we cannot explain so that we begin to be like Christ and actually count others more significant than ourselves because we're transformed by his love. It's a miracle. What would it be like to live among a people like that? Do you want to find out? We can. Right? What would it be like? Right? Can you taste it? Can you imagine it with me? Can you imagine what God could do? It's never going to be perfect, but can you imagine growing more and more over the next 50 years or so together into a people like this? What would that look like to the world? I loved how Jonathan Lehman last week said, Church, you are where the action is. You're where the action is. It's not me. All I'm doing up here is going, love each other. <laughs> love each other. That person you really met on Facebook, call them. Get coffee with them. Right? How many times in the last year I've had one phone call over here, Pastor Dave, this is really not helpful. Right? Next phone call, Pastor Dave, this is really not helpful. And I go, I just need a padded room and just get you two together. Right? We're just going to work this out together. We're just going to love each other. We're going to be the church. This is where the action is in our our love for each other, our working through the secondary differences for the sake of the gospel. This is where the action is. You are where the action is in this mindset, in this counting others as more significant. And what does this display? What would this look like to the world? (laughs) Well, it would look like Jesus. That's what it would look like. That's what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 5. He says, We have this mind... Because we are in Christ. We have the mind of Christ because we're in Christ. And then look at verses 6 to 8. Right? I want you to think about verse 6 to 8 as this like amazing theological treatise that Paul's just going deeper and deeper in. And his point in doing that is just say, love each other. Right? Count others as more significant. Verses 6 to 8. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was with his Father in eternal glory. How, how good would that be? Just enjoying one another's perfections. Eternal glory, eternal happiness, eternal love. He was with him, and he didn't grasp onto that. Right? He could have. I deserve to be here. 
Right? I'm God. Right? Don't, don't you love what we're doing? You're going to send me down there with them? Right? He could have grasped onto it, but he didn't. He, he emptied himself by adding humanity to himself. Subtraction by addition. I'm going to empty myself by adding. Subtraction by addition. He entered our mess, and not as a king, but as a servant. Right? And then, as the God-man, the perfect one who never sinned, he humbled himself by obeying to the point of a criminal's death. He was the only person that ever lived that didn't deserve death for his sins. And he died for our sins. This mindset, this mindset of Christ, have this mind among you, is stunning. There's nothing more natural than looking out for ourselves or protecting ourselves from those who hurt us. Nothing more natural than that. Which means that if the church would be the church, what a stunning opportunity to display Christ to the world. Is it not? Like, just be kind, right, in a world of outrage. Just lay down your rights in a world demanding them 24-7. And this mindset can only be displayed in community together. Jesus loved others. He counted others more significant. He looked to their interests. You can't love like this in your basement on your couch. This is an in-community kind of love. It can only be shown with other members here and with your neighbors and your co-workers. And when we show it, right, when we show it, Someone's offended me. Someone's hurt me. I don't agree with someone on something, but I'm going, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to make the gospel the main thing. I'm going to reconcile here. We do that because we remember the example of Jesus here. I want the world to see through, through me, Him. Want them to see the church, but as they see the church, look past the church and see the head of the church, the Lord of the church, the King of the church, the kingdom that represents Christ. And we want them to see that because there's a day coming when the whole world will bow. Right? So let go of the anxiety of who's in power now. There's a day coming when the whole world will bow. And what we want is bow now. Bow with us. Bow before it's too late. Bow now. You're going to bow. You're going to worship Him. You're going to confess that He's God. Do it now. See us now in our imperfections, in our forgiveness, in our brokenness, pointing to Him, the one who died for our sins. We're just trying to live a little bit out of what He's like. And bow now. Right? Verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we want him to see us, see him, and bow now. That's what the church is for. Point number three, this mission and this mindset is lived out in one manner of life together. Look at verses 12 to 16. What the church does is they obey the word of life together. Look at these verses. Therefore, my beloved, in light of all I've just said, therefore, 
as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So not only do we seek the mind of Christ together, but that mindset of Christ leads us to want to obey like Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about that link before, but here we have the mindset of Christ and the obedience of Christ. And right after that, what do we have? Have this mind, what? Obey. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. We'll never be perfect. Never be perfect. It's not what we're talking about. But as we remember the love of Christ and the fellowship with the Spirit, we're changed. We're, we're holding fast to the word of life. It's our food. It's our delight. We remember that the commands of Christ that we read in this word bring us into the life of Christ that we really want. As we see what Christ has done in his obedience, we meditate on his love, it transforms us from one degree of glory to the next into the same image, and the cry of our hearts becomes obedience. In other words, we want, we want to live as children of God without blemish, blameless, innocent, living in glad obedience to whatever our Father says is right and good. So if you're a parent in here, you, you know what it's like when children obey with a begrudging spirit and they fight each other. You know what that's like, right? Does that happen today? That happened today as you're getting ready for church. Or on your way here. Did anyone else say to your kids, you guys know I'm the pastor and it's really good if I would get to church at some point? Or is I the only one? Right, there's just, there's fighting. Then there's a, a dad who's frustrated and trying to make this whole thing happen like that. That's not what we want. Right, it's not what we want. We don't want to be a church grumbling against our king and just constantly disputing with one another. Kids, have you ever seen the joy and surprise you bring your parents when you actually want to obey them? When you want to. You want to obey them because you know they care for you. They want what's best for you. And in a moment of clarity, you go, yeah, I want to do what they say is good for me because I know them and I, I trust them. But we've seen that our Father cares for us, wants what's best for us, and we know it for sure because He sent Jesus. And now we want to obey Him and live in a way that shows the world the beauty of His goodness. Do you want to live in a way that shows the world the beauty of His goodness? Now let's say, if we're going to be this kind of people, we will need to be a people that have a culture of repentance. Because the failures are just going to keep happening. And a place that is unlike the world in that we are quick to say we're sorry, quick to ask forgiveness, quick to forgive, and then begin to say again, let's walk in obedience together. Let's do it again. Let's get back up and walk in obedience together. That's what the church does. We obey, cling to the word of life. And what does that display? displays the power and the light of Christ. A people that has the mind of Christ and lives in obedience together displays the power and light of Christ. It displays the power of Christ because the world can smell and sense that supernatural power must be there for people to defer to each other, to obey Jesus, and to resist temptation. 
just go, something smells. <laughs> right? What, what, what is that? The world will begin to know, like in 1 Corinthians 14, that God is really at work among you. They come in here and they're like, these people believe this stuff. There's something different. They're singing. They're, they're amening. Like, they're engaged. What is going on? Is this God real? The world can see the light of Christ. Let's take a few examples. The light of Christ standing against the darkness of the sexual revolution and the darkness of abuse as they see beautiful, faithful marriages. The husband loves his bride like Jesus loves the church and lays his life down for her. You go, what in the world is that? Right? The, the world sees the beautiful light of Christ standing against the, the darkness of individual self-expression, instant gratification as it sees single people that happily live celibate lives and point to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What? When, why, aren't you, why aren't you out of the party scene? The world sees the beautiful love of Christ standing against the outrage and anger of our time as it sees the church make the gospel the main thing and lay down its preferences for one another. Say, I don't know anyone like that. Why, why didn't you, why'd you forgive? Why'd you ask for forgiveness? You didn't do anything wrong. It's what you wanted. The world sees the beautiful love of Christ standing against the obsession with power and political tactics as it sees the church seek to serve, obey God without compromise, and remain hopeful amidst every election cycle. Says, why, why aren't you freaking out? Why, why aren't you losing your mind? You should be. And behind all of those sweet marriages and behind all of those contented single folks, and behind the laying down of our preferences, and behind this unshakable hopefulness and joy is a local church. So it's behind it. It's a local access point, the local embassy of heaven that has this mission of standing together in the gospel, has the mindset of loving each other like Christ did in the gospel, and walks together in obedience to the gospel. And people that gathers to worship and exhort one another away from sin and stirs one another up to love and good works. A people that has seen the beauty of sacrifice in Christ and gives all of its lives to walk with Him together to display a taste of heaven to a dying world. Let me pray for us. So Father, I hurt for this and I know you hurt for this so much more than I do. And you're the one who can make it happen by the power of your Holy Spirit, working through your word, showing us Christ, showing us the mind of Christ, showing us the mission of Christ, showing us obedience to Christ. Oh God, how you could do so much more than we could ask or even think through us becoming this, becoming this word from Philippians. So God, we confess, we just confess, Lord, I confess looking to my own interests. I confess striving for other things. I confess not counting others more significant than myself. I confess my disobedience or my grumbling, disputing obedience. 
Lord, I believe what we just read and heard. Help my unbelief. So, Lord, would you come now, Lord, and make us this beautiful kind of people, this alternative community, this heavenly access point where the world sees the gospel in relationships, the gospel in a community, the gospel shape and take root and change and transform and then export from it the gospel to the world around it. So God, we're asking for miracles. Miracles of grace, but we're asking because we know that you love your glory and your people more than we ever could. So to work in us what is pleasing in your sight by the power of your spirit. And Lord, now as we come to your table, Lord, we confess our sins. Lord, if there's anyone in here who doesn't yet know you, who's not yet a part of this alternate community, this blood-bought family, Lord, we would ask you that now would be the moment of repentance where they would turn away from the comforts and the joys of this world and turn from their sins and repent and ask for forgiveness and come into the family of God in this moment. Or would you do that now in this moment for someone? And God, for us, help us grow more and more into this kind of place. Help us lay down our sins and walk forward towards obedience and holiness together. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.